Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Toogie's Take podcast. I am here, sans sin for the win and endurance M. We're going solo on this one due to no fault of the other two. Endo has tried on multiple occasions uh, to be ready for the show this week, so you cannot fault him. And of course, Sin has made his way over to uh, what is likely his very future home once again in Finland for the next couple of weeks. I mentioned Endo trying like hell to be prepared for the show, and he was. I was the one who screwed things up this week uh, for Endo and I to be able to sit down and have the chat that we normally do, the completely unhinged conversations that we typically have when Sin, the lone adult, is not in the room, but it's been uh, an interesting week for me, just schedule-wise. It's been a bit of a disaster, really, very inconsistent at the very least. Um, I talked about it on stream not all that long ago. It was a couple weeks back that a good buddy of mine, one of my uh, groomsmen at my wedding, uh, unexpectedly lost his father out of nowhere, and you know, as kind of, um, I don't want to say like as a make good or something like that, because that's not the right way to word it. But, you know, he and I both lifelong wrestling fans, essentially. I mean, I've talked, you know, we've joked about AEW fandom on this uh, supposed hockey podcast before with, with Endo, you know, having gone to shows as well. And they announced that they were going to be in Boston. And, Despite the fact that 10 days before that, I am going to Greensboro, North Carolina for an AW pay-per-view on Sunday, March 3rd with the illustrious Crash Andrews uh, at Crash Andrews on Twitter, of course, uh, famous for his son uh, trading a package of Sour Patch Kids for a signed hockey stick. That is the art of the deal right there. Um, despite the fact that I'm going to that pay-per-view now, 10 days later, it's like, all right, cool. I'm going to take my friend to this wrestling event. It's kind of the least I can do, you know, given like, okay, daily life and everything. We live a couple hours away from one another. What can I do just to be like, Hey, try to get your mind off of stuff for even 30 seconds at a time, because life is never going to be the same, uh, for my friend. And it's, it's awful, right? It's awful. So I, on the day these tickets went on sale, uh, <laughs> stayed up until now I'm a night owl, obviously, as you'll know, by streaming, um, uh, I stayed up until 10 AM got to bed at 11 and woke up at like 6 PM. That is not great. I hate that type of schedule. I normally try to get to bed by like five and wake up at like noon or one o'clock. So especially in the winter, you still get some sunlight. So this past week has been nuts with me trying to flip my schedule back and just it, it's been a disaster. We were going to record on Monday. If I'm not mistaken, it was Monday instead of Tuesday, but we were waiting for the word to come down about Morgan Riley's suspension because we knew had we done the show that it would have immediately been out of date because we would have found out the suspension number. So we held off and then again, schedules just simply didn't line up the rest of the way. But on this show, I am going to talk about a lot of the things going on uh, hockey-wise, of course. I'm not sure how much the uh, fellows would have had uh, input on it to begin with because we've kind of talked about it. This show has almost 
captured my decline in interest in the NHL. Maybe that's not the right word or the right way to phrase it either, but it has been, you know, capturing me as a hockey fan being like, God, how how much of the nonsense can you put up and ignore and just be like, oh, it's hockey, it's fine, whatever. The separating art from artist conversation, right? Depends on the subject matter, really. Uh, there are certain musicians that I have stopped listening to. Uh, there are certain uh, wrestlers. If I were to check out an old pay-per-view where it's like, nope, not watching not watching that match because of uh, their actions in the future or their actions from the past that came to light. Uh, and it turns out at the time they were just like, yep, nobody knows we're good. So, you know, it, it's been an interesting time, but this week especially has been an interesting time. And we'll start off on the Morgan Riley side of things, because I think most people listening to this at this point will know I had my fun on Twitter during the whole conversation and debate regarding Morgan Riley. Um, it's a shame. I didn't get to ask Sen about the, uh, about the Super Bowl or anything like that. I just realized because I was scrolling back through my timeline and there was, uh, Obviously, the incident, everybody knows at this point, Ridley Gregg in a game, Ottawa versus Toronto in Ottawa, Gregg, empty net goal, slap shots it instead of just tucking it in, and Morgan Riley uh, aiming for the shoulder, what a, aiming for the head, call it what you will, Morgan Riley hits him in the head, and it leads to a brouhaha, uh, not only on the ice in the immediate aftermath, but social media in regards to you know this being the story that just wouldn't go away. For as much talk as there was about, oh, Ottawa, they're towards the bottom half of the standings and they act like this and blah, 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 and the game meant so much to them. It's like, well, yeah, they, it did because it's a rivalry game. And even if you're in the bottom of the standings, it's never a bad thing to beat your biggest rival, even in the regular season. A lot of people are like, oh, that was Ottawa Stanley Cup this year. Yeah, probably. For Sens fans, I know I, I would love it. If the shoe was on the other foot, I think a lot of Leafs fans, you know, if we're back in the doldrums before Austin Matthews gets here and some of the best players on the team are freaking Mikhail Grabowski and P.A. Parento and a younger player, uh, I would say Nazem Kadri, but I think we know there'd be a lot more racism involved if Nazem Kadri did that because we've already seen uh, him be on the receiving end of a lot of verbal abuse in his career, but a player of that ilk. If a Leaf did that, Leafs fans would be, they'd be happy, right? It's one of those situations. It's almost like the idea of a player like Brad Marchand or another shit disturber, Tom Wilson, Jacob Truba. If he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, he's the scum of the earth. It's that type of thing. I'd like to think most hockey fans can admit that. But in regards to the play, I had my fun um, stating that it should have been a 10 game suspension, which was absolutely 100 percent bait. Uh, and it worked. My God, did it work? Uh, but I followed it up by saying it won't be because the NHL sucks, which it does. It does. Right. I, I think we can say that the NHL sucks. That doesn't mean it's a 0 out of 10 product, but in comparison to what it should be, 
what the standard of officiating should be, what the DOPS should be, how they market the game, how they handle certain franchise, whatever. The NHL sucks in comparison to what it could be and should be. I mentioned the DOPS sucks. Nobody's going to disagree with that. Even before this incident, in regards to the inconsistencies of George Peros' administration, uh, it's an outright disaster and has been for a long time. And I said that hockey culture sucks, which uh, drew the ire of a lot of people, including former NHLers, <laughs> which was interesting. Um, that part was also bait, but it, there is truth to it, right? The 10-game suspension, bait, but there is some truth to it. Maybe not 10 games based off of history, but at the same time, it's not that out of the realm of possibility. If you look at this situation in a vacuum, sending a message to a player to say that is unacceptable, 10 games isn't an absurd thought. It is, though, when you tie it into what the DOPS happens to be. Hockey culture does suck. In a lot of ways, there are some good aspects to it, sure. But in a lot of ways, hockey culture does absolutely suck. Uh, we've seen that a lot now over the past couple of years, whether it be Kyle Beach, Akeem Alou, uh, the London Five at this point. Um, was it Noah Corson uh, was just found guilty in court? Right? You have players from the 80s and 90s that played in junior that are telling their stories of the hazing and the abuse that went on. Hockey culture sucks in a lot of ways. And an aspect of that for me is the code, which is if you're going to score on an empty net, you better not be too flashy about it. There was a tweet uh, by, I believe, Wyatt Arndt on Twitter that I think summed it up pretty well. Uh, quote, hockey is just the most fascinating blend of suck it up, be a man, and play through that broken leg. But at the same time, quote, that fucker took a hard shot on our empty net. That's hurt our feelings. He must die. And that kind of sums up the code. And people have complained about the code all season long. How many times have you seen a perfectly clean hit on a player, but well, his teammate came over to fight that guy because, well, you hit my teammate. It doesn't matter if it was clean or not. You hit my teammate. That's the code. There's a lot of aspects to the hockey code that suck. And I can't help but agree with Arndt on this, where it's for a sport that claims to be all about toughness, machismo and bravado. There are some very soft individuals in the sport and there are some very soft people that follow the sport that will be the first people to label somebody else as soft as woke as a snowflake that wants to take hitting and fighting out of the game go watch tennis yada 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 lord knows i got all of that in the primary tweet that i recapped um i'm not saying this to be like oh it went viral but like seriously for a bait tweet 735,000 views, 678 comments. And you know that the vast majority of said comments are negative. I put out videos on the channel talking about these where it's first time watching hockey. I got called more slurs than, uh, <laughs> than, <laughs> than a lot of people could believe. 
uh, whether it be in regards to sexuality. Uh, I got called the the an N word loving fag. ER, by the way, not A. Uh, we saw that tweet because I was streaming that night, and a, a chat was like, "Endo, did you see this tweet?" And his reaction was absurd because he's just like, "You, how are you getting called?" That? <laughs> it was just insane, really. Um, I accomplished my goal of having fun on the internet at the expense of Leafs fans and hockey bros on hockey Twitter. It's easy. It's easy bait, certainly. Um, there was an incident where Henrik Lundqvist, I think he was on, was he on TNT or was he on Sportsnet? Um, Henrik Lundqvist had comments about the Leafs, and you could see people, you know, Leafs fans responding, "What? Well, what did he ever accomplish? <laughs> he doesn't even know what he's talking about." Henrik Lundqvist. So of course I'm going to get roasted. End of the day, like I am the teeniest, tiniest little blip on the radar in the in the hockey scene, right? It's just crazy. And at the end of the day, um, I also had the follow up tweet about the code being stupid and how we have this aspect of the game where fans, you know, oh, we want players to have personality and show that they care. Well, Ridley Gregg showed that that game meant something to him in the Sens and then Leafs fans. Oh, you're, you suck. Why'd that mean anything to you? obviously for sense fans like well they beat a rival and it hurts your season so lol lol and of course some fans response is well don't showboat too much if you don't want to get cross-checked in the head again the code is stupid you know i mentioned like okay slowly tuck the puck into bed uh skate back to the bench with your head down apologizing to everybody that you dare scored because how dare you i think people have heard about that incident uh enough and to death we do know that Morgan Riley was given a five-game suspension that he is going to appeal. No surprise there at all. Um, and obviously, we've had the discourse over this entire aspect of the game, um, whether it be the reaction from the Sens locker room and the coaches, the Leafs locker room and the coaches, Ryan Reeves especially, um, with the make hockey violent again quote, and then people were dunking on him on Twitter because he got dropped by Nathan Walker <laughs> in a game. Um, you know, this is one of those situations, though, where you talk about the code and the way hockey works. Ryan Reeves' mere presence was supposed to stop someone from Ridley Gregg, like even attempting to do something like that, if you, if you recall. So you can see the hypocritical nature of the code and every aspect to it. But again, I think everybody is sick and tired of this conversation at this point. We'll see if anything happens in regards to the Leafs, you know, almost like filing a complaint with the DOPS because Kevin Weeks broke the story first. Um, there was going to be the Brad Living press conference in regards to what you would think would be addressing that. And it just never happened it ended up getting canceled but it's just one of those things in regards to this whole conversation again people are sick and tired of it people are tired of the hypocritical nature of people the dops of hockey fans i mean jesus what was it the same day jake wallman scores on a penalty shot in overtime and hits the gritty again 
uh, and people had more of an issue with the way Ridley Gregg scored on an empty netter. You know, people just can't seem to make up their minds about what is okay and what isn't, what's against the code and what isn't. And there are now reports out there about the NHL maybe cracking down on the whole Jake Wallman gritty celebration. Um, That's not confirmed or anything like that. But it's one of those things where it's like, if that does happen, you know, you start drifting towards NFL territory where like, it's bare minimum celebrations. Like I'm not saying you need to go full NFL, uh, like Terrell Owens or Chad Ochocinco back in the day, or that you need to celebrate like you can in EASHL when you score. But I don't know. It just seems to be an aspect of the game that people move the goalposts for. And that's another annoying part of the game um, that I think as hockey fans, we just kind of put up with. Uh, you have to. Otherwise, uh, former NHLers will tell you, oh, you shouldn't be a hockey fan. <laughs> I'm not going to throw the guy under the bus. Um, Lord knows he was thrown under the bus enough in his, uh, you know, in his career. But hey, he made the show, and that's important. Another aspect, though, of hockey culture, right, that I think we have to talk about is the Patrick Line situation. Where you had five people on a podcast talking about the Blue Jackets, talking about Patrick Line, and making a joke about Patrick Line killing himself is the only way to put it. They phrased it as a Remington retirement, which Remington, of course, being a uh, gun brand. Um, and this caught a lot of people's attention. Unfortunately, Patrick's as well. Um, You know, there's been a lot of good to come out of this on the charity side of things. Um, I don't know if he started it, but I know Nasher was a part of an initiative to start donating to charities, um, mental health-based charities, that is uh, over $10,000 happened to be raised. I think Nasher did start it as well. So fair play to him. Uh, people donating 29 bucks a pop um, in you know honor of Patrick Line being number 29. So I, I give them credit. I know the Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation was a part of it too. Johnny Goodrow, stuff like that. So um, a lot of good came out of it. Obviously, a lot of people are quick to say, well, they don't represent hockey and hockey culture. and blah, blah, blah. They do represent a part of it. And like I was referring to, there are positive aspects of hockey culture, the fucking bro culture that's there, and there's negative aspects of hockey culture. This is one of those negative aspects, for sure. There's a lot of different examples of negative aspects, whether it be asshats like this attacking Patrick Line over whatever struggles he might be having. Um, and obviously... You know, we know that he's been focused on um, really ever since leaving Winnipeg or before leaving Winnipeg with, oh, he's addicted to Fortnite and, you know, the conversation about, well, his dad passed away and stuff like that. People like this are out there and will take shots at players for this reason as if they're not real people. That is a part of every sport, let's be honest. But you can't say it's also not a part of hockey culture because it is. 
It is. It's a part of competitive sports culture and the way that fans react to stuff and talk shit. But it is it is also a part of hockey. It is. It is, like I said, one of numerous aspects that you can look at and say people doing and saying shit like this, people getting into fights in the in the stands or in the causeways, um, the racism. Whether it be freaking on the ice or off the ice. I'm a Boston sports fan. I have heard many, many stories, right? Like, I'm not going to sit there and deny that. It's not like it's a Columbus thing or a Toronto thing or just a Boston thing. This type of shit happens all over the place. It's it's a sports issue because it's a people issue. And there's just a lot of horrible fucking people out there. That's just the only way that you can word it. And... You know, it's one of those things where you would hope in regards to this podcast that I'm not going to mention. It's one of those things that you'd hope would be a learning lesson. But if you have someone saying something like that in the first place, odds are they're happy about the attention that they've gotten. And that's the that's the sad part of it, right? In terms of all attention being good attention. So many people subscribe to that at that point, you know, at certain points. I subscribe to it with the the tweets, you know, the the bait tweets that I put out there. Um, I find, you know, that to be a harmless version of being a shithead for laughs. Um, at the same time, I don't think you can say they did this for laughs because it's one thing to say, hey, someone should get suspended five more games than they did compared to this guy should kill himself. It's it's absurd, right? That's the only way to put it at this stage. It's incredibly concerning. That wasn't the only thing that the Blue Jackets were in the news for uh, in the past couple of days as well, because earlier today, the news broke that they had finally made a change at GM where Yarmo Kekalainen has finally been let go as the GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets after I think a lot longer than people think or remember. Yarmo was there as the GM of this team February 13th, 2013 to February 15th, 2024, 11 years and two days. He was at the helm of this team. And, you know, he caught a lot of flack at the beginning of this season for the Mike Babcock thing. And a lot of people were surprised that he didn't lose uh, his job then in the aftermath of that. Um, I'm kind of among them as well to be like, wow, he survived that, huh? But it's to me, it's less about the Babcock thing and just more about how how much leash he was given. As the GM of the team, like you can't deny, and a lot of people have mentioned this, like as a as a, a talent scout, it does feel like he has a pretty good eye for talent. Um, you know, his highest draft picks, Adam Fantilli and Pierre Luc Dubois, were both taken third overall. Fantilli so far looks good. We don't know. Dubois, well, his career's been tumultuous. They got Kent Johnson, fifth overall in 2021, David Yerosek, but there's been a lot of conversations about David Yerosek this year in regards to his handling 
Uh, Zach Wierenski was an eighth overall pick. Cole Sillinger at 12. Denton Matejchuk the year after in the same position. You know, mid-first round picks, guys like Wenberg, Milano that, you know, had points in Columbus where they were doing well. But obviously, Wenberg was allowed to go to Seattle and so on and so forth. And, you know, you can go further down the list into like his second and third round picks and stuff like that. It's like, I do agree that he has looked like a a decent evaluator of talent, but I also don't believe that he really had the, the, the vision or the potential to really bring it all together. I think you look at the draft picks combined with the trades Obviously, the most famous of the group being the Artemi Panarin fleece. You look at some of the the signings as well, bringing in Johnny Goodrow, really swinging for the fences on that. I just, like I said, at the end of the day, I don't think he was able to put it together in the time that he had. He took over in the middle of the 2012-2013 season, so we won't count that. But the next year, loses in the first round to Pittsburgh. Misses the playoffs. Misses the playoffs. We're up to 2017, losing the first round to Pittsburgh in five. Losing to the Penguins of the mid-2010s, certainly excusable. Losing to the Washington Capitals in the first round of 2018, certainly excusable. Then you get to 2019. The sweep of the Tampa Bay Lightning is legendary, obviously, but they lose in the second round to the Bruins. You get to the bubble. They beat the Leafs in the qualifying round in five, lose to the Lightning again, And then they missed the playoffs three years in a row. This is a team in his 11-year tenure that only made it out of the first round once and missed the playoffs as much as they made it. I'm a little bit surprised that he had the leash that he did. I do think, and you know, this is a guy that had a history of being a, a scout. Right. Like his first NHL job was with the Ottawa Senators from 99 to 2002 uh, when he was in his mid 30s. He was the director of player personnel. But then after that, from August of 02 to May of 2010, uh, he was the director of amateur scouting for the St. Louis Blues. And you can think about some of the players that the Blues picked up in that era and how important they were to, you know, some future successes that the Blues had, like really competitive teams, obviously. Uh, those Blues teams, you know, once you get the, the spin, leads up to 2019, and hey, they did well. He was just never able to get that consistent footing with the Blue Jackets and just wasn't able to put all of the pieces together for whatever reason. And, you know, I think you look at that roster now and can pretty much say, like, it, it was time for a change. They do have young talent, but they have pieces that they need to figure out what the hell they're doing with. What are you going to do with Elvis Merzlikens, who requested a trade earlier this season? He's on a contract that's not exactly the most movable, $5.4 million for the next three years. You know, that's that's a guy that you commit to, but you haven't really commit to based on coaching. And what are you going to do there? Defensively, they made the big splash of uh, a sign and trade to get Damon Severson who is solid, he's a good defenseman, second-pair guy. I don't think he's the guy that you put next to Zach Wierenski, though. You know, Zach Wierenski being the gem of that defense. You go out and get Proveroff, 
obviously they caught some heat uh, for that one. But again, that's a guy who's fine, but he's not a number one. He's not the Devon Taves to Zach Wierenski's Kale McCarr. You get younger guys like Adam Boakvist, who, you know, mid-20s now, not really that young. The freaking Erica Branson contract. I mean, Jesus, how is he not still catching heat for that? Four million, two more years after this is absurd. Um, there's no way you had to pay Eric Branson that much. We talked about the David Yarosek up and down, the yo-yoing. Like, what are you doing with him? What is that development strategy? There's there's a lot of questions with this roster that I think somebody new can hopefully, and obviously the Blue Jackets feel the same way, even though they haven't named a permanent GM yet. They're going to wait until the end of the year, which I think is smart. See who's fully available. It's going to be, although at the same time, if you're coming up on a deadline where you might be wanting to sell pieces, maybe you want the GM at the helm. But in terms of big UFAs, uh, Zach Roslovich, I don't think you'd be getting rid of Yegor Chinnikov, Karel Marchenko, Justin Danforth. Like they really don't have much, I think, at least on expiring deals that you'd be looking to move on from anytime soon. So it, it was it was time. For a new era with the Blue Jackets. Like I said, I don't think Yarmo Kekalainen is this like embarrassment of a GM. But I also think he's somewhere in the middle ground, maybe closer uh to the to the bottom than the top, because I, I talked about some of these some of these contracts. And yes, there are those bright spots, those, you know, trade wins, the the free agent signings, stuff like that, that are solid but if you can't put it together what what difference does it make if you can only make it to the second round once technically twice if you consider the bubble year what what's the point it, if it doesn't amount to anything it doesn't really mean much my take on it at the very least on the Tuggy's take podcast who would have thought in terms of other things to talk about just very briefly credit to mark andre Fleury. And all that he's accomplished. Absolute absolute legend. I thought the Wild did a tremendous job um, handling the night and the occasion of him hitting yet another milestone. He's a future Hockey Hall of Famer. No doubt about it. There's certain players that have heated up recently. A lot of talk about Slavkovsky in Montreal. Who, as of a couple of nights ago, when he had a three-point night, 19 points in his last 22 games, he's starting to find... A little bit of a groove, a little bit of a rhythm. We've seen the same thing with the New York Rangers and Lafreniere, you know, starting to look a little bit more like people thought he could be. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things now where certainly I feel like the discourse is changing in regards to player development. I feel like Jack Hughes went a long way in that, where obviously he started off really slow and then turned into a superstar that tonight was able to jaw jack saying people pay to watch me play <laughs> yelling that at victor harvidson which uh damn that's cold it's cold <laughs> you also have you know the old guard alex ovechkin finally heating up a goal in six straight games first time he's done that since 2018 10 goals in 10 games um against alex georgiev now so uh credit to georgiev there uh, couldn't quite handle Ovechkin like he could handle McDavid in the skills competition. But, you know, you have these stories of, of younger guys that are starting to heat up, some veterans that are finding their footing again. Jonathan Huberto 
um, had one point in December, and then earlier this week had 16 points in 16 games. You, you never quite know what the situation is going to be with certain players and how they're able to turn it around and if they're able to sustain it. And a good example of that is Sean Couturier, who was named the 20th captain of the Philadelphia Flyers this week after, I don't think it's unfair to say, his career had some question marks surrounding it. You know, this was a guy that was viewed as, at least from the outside looking in, Flyers fans might feel differently. This was a guy who was viewed as a, a, a Bergeron for the Flyers, basically. Somebody very solid defensively that could still put up points. You know, he had back to back 76 point seasons uh, between 2017 and 2019, you know, 30 goal seasons in both of those years. And in the last two years or so, severe, severe injury troubles. Um, I feel like that's understating it because it was the last two years of his playing time that he had injury troubles. 45 games in 2021, 29 games in 21-22, and missed the entirety of the 22-23 season as a former Selkie winner. You know, you start to say like, oh shit, what could have been? But he's done really well to battle back from back surgery, so many different complications of that. And the Flyers finally named their first captain since trading Claude Giroux almost two years ago, which how insane is that, by the way? Um, I feel like he is a John Tortorella captain, if that makes sense. He he is a guy that John Tortorella would love to have as the captain of his team. Hence, he is. Um, I think a lot of people thought it might be Travis Konechny. Because I think a lot of Flyers fans are hoping they resign Travis Konechny because his deal is up at the end of next season. But yeah, given that he's been able to be mostly healthy this year, seven years left on his deal, including this year. Um, you know, you look at that who's under contract long term. I mean, it was going to be him. It was going to be Sanheim. I mean, Owen Tippett has a new eight-year deal, but I don't know if they were going to name him captain. So I mean, Sean Couturier really is kind of that that perfect fit for the Flyers, and it's really cool to kind of see him get this moment where it looked like, you know, damn, his career might be over. Final thing I wanted to talk about. Hockey fans, we all know what's coming. Fanatics. There's been a lot of talk in the baseball community over the last couple of days because we are getting a first look at Fanatics offering for Major League Baseball. And the quality dip looks to be absolutely absurd. There is a chance that the Fanatics jerseys are going to be even worse than people already thought they were going to be. And people already thought it was going to be an absolute tragedy. I'm intrigued to see how this plays out. For MLB, I mean, the jerseys that were on display for the Seattle Mariners, the Chicago White Sox, look like knockoff Walmart-branded stuff from 2005. It's it's insane. And, uh, you know, I'd been preparing myself. I haven't bought a jersey in a while. Um, you know, last fall, I bought the Bruins uh, home jersey for this year uh, with Marchand on it. 
know, Brad Marchand gets named captain. You need that jersey. But it's one of those things where it's like, I cannot imagine buying a jersey anytime soon for any sport that fanatics have their their fingers on. Because the quality is abysmal. <laughs> That's the only way, the only way to put it. Outside of that dour note to end this show, I think we will bring this one uh, to a close. Just a quick little chat in regards to some of the things going on. Apparently, I would always get half an hour's worth of audio by myself. So that shows you how much uh, audio Sin and Endo tend to get. Again, make sure to check Sin out on the Twitter side of things. Sin FTW Prod. That's C-Y-N-F-T-W-Prod. P-R-O-D. And Endo you can check out at Endurance M. If you can find out how to spell it correctly, it's worth it. He's worth the follow. And of course, you can follow Sin on the YouTube side of things uh, at the same handle as well. And Endo streams on occasion on Twitch at Endurance M as well. You can find me everywhere at 2K24. I will be back in the coming days uh, alongside one Endo Mills as we will continue to talk about things, especially while Sin is uh, enjoying his time in the land of the Finns for now. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the podcast, and we will see you next time.